Sound of that tractor means it's time for us to go to work. And I can't wait to get started today because I'm so pumped to have our guest in the studio with us. You guys are in for a real treat today. So when you want someone to succeed or experience good fortune, oftentimes you will wish them luck, right? You'll say, good luck with the new job. Good luck with your test today. Or the passive-aggressive version, good luck with that, right? And although I've used the expression hundreds of times, I've never really been a believer in luck. I just don't believe that anything happens simply by chance. And I can assure you that outside of the name itself, luck had nothing to do with the success of the company that we're talking about today. For nearly 100 years, this family-owned company has managed to establish themselves as a major player in the aggregates business by staying focused on three things, their purpose, their values, and their people. You may know Luck Companies for its most high-profile brand, Luck Stone. Quick history lesson here, and I'm going to roll through this really fast because we're going to dig into it a little bit more through the podcast. But this company was started in 1923 by Charles Luck Jr., under the name Sunnyside Granite Company in Richmond, Virginia. In 1955, we introduced Charles Luck III, who joins the company and then later becomes president 10 years later in 1965. In 87, we introduced Charles Luck IV, Charlie, who leaves his racing career behind and trades in a racing helmet for a hard hat. And he becomes president of the company in 1995 and is still wearing that hat in addition to the CEO hat today. 2015, Luck Companies welcomed the fourth generation to the team. And our guest today, Richard S. Luck, general manager of Luck Stone. Richard, welcome to the Give Us a Dirt podcast. Thank you, Brandon. I'm super excited to be here. It's good to have you. I know we, uh, we've been excited about doing this for a while now. We've been working on it. So to have you here in the studio today is a treat. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What have you listened to any of the podcast before? I have. I have. I had actually listened to it before you guys had kind of reached out to us. And uh, man, I've just enjoyed it so much. I love the casual nature of it. And thank you do a great job. And uh, man, when y'all reached out, I was super excited to drive down to Charlotte and be a part of it. That's awesome. Well, thank you for first off, thank you for listening. That's cool that you were listening to it before we even started reaching out. But because you've listened, you know how we like to introduce our guests. So we, we typically ask our guests to tell us, how would your wife introduce you to a group of friends that don't know anything about you? What would she say about you? Yeah, so, uh, so I called her on my drive down this morning, and I was like, yeah, they're going to ask me this question. So, so how would you introduce or uh, how would you describe me? And she said, you're just so sweet. I was like, I was like, oh, don't don't make me say that on, on the on the podcast. So that uh, that is how she would describe. Uh, can me. you, honey? Can you give me something a little more manly? Yes. Yeah, uh, so I thought that was so funny. But That's she said, awesome. Yeah, she said you're just so you're just, sweet and you love me and you love our kids. And uh, and then I was like, well, well, what about my work? How would you describe my work? And she she said, you know, it's crushing big rocks into little rocks, and uh, that is what we do. Uh, my wife, her her dad has actually worked for the company for around thirty five years, which is really cool. So she kind of grew up with the company being a big part of her life as well. Uh, so I tell people, you know, I drink out of Luckstone cups at my house, and I go to my my wife's house and you know or my wife's family's house and drink out of Luckstone cups there. That is awesome! What a great introduction, though. Just so sweet that you care about the kids and family and her, but yet she also knows the business. She knows the uh, aggregates business probably as well as anybody. She's grown up in it too, so that's really cool. I know. Um, I don't know. I spent 20 years in the aggregates business too, and I know that was always a challenge for my wife to explain to someone what I do. And it, it would always end up back at the same point. She would say, look, 
I, I tried to describe it. He sells rocks. Yes. Right? yes. At the end of the day, he sells <laughs> rocks. And so uh, it's great to have you. Thank you so much for being with us. I went through the story of Luckstone in about 30 seconds there, but there's so much more there. Tell me, walk us through the history of the company. I know that you've heard these stories all your life. Uh, what are the stories of Luckstone and the history of Luckstone that you tell your kids? Like, what is, what is, tell us what we don't know from the website. Yeah, yeah. Well, you did a, a wonderful job in the introduction, but my, uh, so it probably starts one generation before that. So it would have been my great great grandfather. Uh, he had three children, uh, three sons. And he had kind of two businesses going on. He had a, uh, a contracting business, kind of doing some road construction, and and then he had a, a dairy farm. And so, uh, so one of the sons went into the dairy farm, one went into the contracting business, and then the third son was my great grandfather, the one that started uh, Sunnyside Granite. And so, uh, his brother and his dad and him all went in on that first quarry together, and uh, and that was going to kind of be a supply deal to his brother where he'd run the quarry and, and they'd kind of have a, a little family deal going on. And uh, and it kind of grew from there, which is just totally incredible. Um, but, you know, I think the stories that we like to tell and that I'll tell my kids and that we tell within the company is just this story about people and this story about the connectedness to our people. Um, you know, so even back at that first quarry, they bought this railroad car and they brought it in and they turned it into this kind of cook cart. Uh, where they had a kitchen in it and, you know, management and hourly folks would be in the, in the cook cart eat, eating, eating breakfast together. And, you know, I think back in those days, that was uh, a really rare thing. And, uh, and so there's just kind of always been this story of connectedness from ownership down, down to the quarries and, uh, and this deep love and passion for people. And so that kind of carried on with my grandfather and he, he termed it as just, we care, simply we care. And so, we care was all over our quarries and all over our hard hats. And that was just kind of the slogan. And that was the, that was kind of, I guess, as simple as you can make it that, that we care. And, and that kind of culture, um, you know, is, is alive and strong in our company today. And then my dad came in and sophisticated it with kind of some more tools and processes. And, and we, we've retermed it igniting human potential. So, you know, how do you, how do you help associates, find their purpose, their passion, and their competency, and, and put them on what we call their dance floor, like where, where they can uh, can kind of thrive and become the best version of themselves. And so, you know, those are always the conversations that we're hoping our people are in around our company. And so if you're in the scale office and you want to try the yard loader, you know, we want to have that conversation with you. Or if you're interested in something else, you know, what, what do you want to do? And we believe people are going to perform the best and uh, we're going to have the best business success when we can kind of ignite that potential within folks. And um, so that kind of people being our purpose um, is really kind of the story that, that weaves itself through the hundred years. That's incredible. And I, I was hoping that I would learn something today that, it, that was not on the website about the history. And I had no idea that this goes back a generation earlier uh, to your great, great grandfather, mm-hmm. but that, that core focus of the people and focusing on the people like that's been the common thread through every generation, and that was there in the beginning with the cook cart. Yeah, yeah. And so we're gonna we're gonna get into that, and we're gonna talk about igniting human potential because I think that's what a great line. And um, when you go to the website, that's the first thing you see that I, we exist to ignite human potential. And I had a million questions when I see that because you don't know I don't know what that means when you read it, but you do, and you're gonna explain that to us today and. Um, so I was going to ask you when you were 
uh, you became part of the business, but I guess that happened at birth. Yeah, yeah. So people you, always are like, you know, how long you've worked at, at the company? And so, you know, there's kind of two answers. One is my whole life, and then the other, others six officially six years, not including internships and all that kind of other stuff. And um, what was but, that like as a kid growing up in a family business? I mean, it, everyone was in, right? Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's been so special to come back and you know formally work at the company now because. You know, so many people feel almost like aunts and uncles to me, you know, because you've grown, grown up around them. And, you know, as as much as I can remember around the dinner table, if it was uh, 20 degrees out, we'd talk about, you know, what the day looked like for people at Luckstone. And if it was 100 degrees out, we'd talk about what, you know, what the day looked like. And, you know, I remember growing up my in the summers, my dad would take me to the quarries and, uh, you know, I'd sit in the scale office and, you know, tear off our tickets and hand them out to truck drivers and, um, on the weekends when we went, went into the office or the quarry, we'd, you know, climb up and down the stockpiles, which you know, I don't think you're supposed to do anymore. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just always been a huge, huge part of my life. And, uh, and growing up our parents, I've got two sisters and, uh, and my parents were just really awesome around, Hey, you know, follow your passion. We want each one of you guys to do something you love. And if, you know, if that ends up being the company, there's plenty of room for all three of you all. And if, yeah, you know, if you end up loving something else, chase that. And so we were always exposed to the company, but never felt, you know, forced by the company. And um, and so we each got to chase our own passions in life, and, and mine ended up being the company and um, and being the people. And, um, you know, so I'm, I'm just so excited to kind of be, be a part of it now. That's cool you say that because, at, you know, there was no – it sounds like there was no expectation that you take this path. And ma- matter of fact, when we were getting ready for this podcast – found an article uh, from 2014, I think it was your dad, and it was in the Washington Post, and he was being interviewed, and they were asking him about succession of the company, and he actually made that point. He said that a leadership position is not guaranteed at the company, and he wanted all three of his children to find their own path and develop their own skills. Um, so exactly what you just said, was there a time that did you ever want to do anything else, or was this your path from the beginning? Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. So I remember I was a junior in college, and uh, and I'd always wanted to come back to Luckstone. Like I'd done internships there, and I'd loved it, and uh, knew it was what I wanted to do. And um, and so I was gung ho on you know graduating college and coming back to work. And um, I remember Dad Dad kind of set us all down, and he was like, Hey, you know, we we've, we've been talking, and we really think it's healthy for. Um, for all three of you to, if you want to come back to the company, you guys got to go outside and work somewhere else for two to five years and, and really, you know, you grow, grow into your own, own self and, you know, prove to yourself you can make it out in the world and, and find your own passions and then, you know, and have some successes and have some failures. And, you know, after, um, after a couple of years, if you still want to come back to the company, then we'll talk about it, but we really want you to go do something else. And I remember being like, that does not make any sense. <laughs> you tell us all the time to follow your passion. I want to work at the company, and I was so upset. And uh, and it ended up being one of the biggest blessings in my life to, um, you know, to be to kind of be forced to go do something else. And uh, man, that time away really allowed me to grow and mature, and um, you know, explore other things. And um, so I ended up doing a program called Teach for America. Uh, which landed me in a, a high school teacher, a math role, um, actually here in Charlotte at Olympic High School. And, uh, and then I moved back to Richmond and worked in the nonprofit world, actually started a 
nonprofit focused on uh, low income entrepreneurship and, uh, and did that for several years. And then my dad came to me and I loved that. Like I, I was having an impact. I was seeing it firsthand. And, uh, and my dad came back to me and he said, Hey, yeah, I'm going to be retiring in 10 to 12 years. And you've always said that you want to be, you know, a potential direct successor to me. And he's like, you know, I got to have two or three people to pick from when I retire. And if you want to be one of those two or three people, you know, to think you can learn the business in 10 to 12 years is, is pretty ambitious anyways. And, um, and so I'm not telling you to come back now. And if you never want to come back, that's okay too. But, um, if, if you want to be a potential kind of successor candidate, uh, we got to start now. And I remember that being a really, uh, difficult conversation in my life and me kind of questioning was the family business for me or, you know, what, you know, what was going to be my answer to that? And, uh, you know, I, a big part of that was about the impact I was having at the nonprofit. I felt like I was having this big impact. And in my head, I was like, am I going to feel that way when I go work at this big company? And, um, and so anyways, chose to, chose to go ahead and come back to the company. And, uh, I can't tell you how that's been the best decision I've ever made. And, and I absolutely feel that impact every day with our associates and with our customers. Um, you know, so many stories around, um, you know, our, our pension program where people come up at retirement and they're crying and hugging me about it. And, you know, just all this cool, all these cool stories about people that their lives have been changed by working at the company. And, um, you know, I don't know that I saw that before I was in the company. And, uh, so that impact's definitely still there in my current job. What a cool story. Yeah. And hats off to your dad for realizing that that was going to be an important piece of your story to go off and do something else and to find yourself and find the things that matter to you and, and your purpose. But I love the fact that you, you, you resisted that. You didn't want to do it. You thought it made no sense. But yet when you, when you did it, you didn't go and start your own business. You didn't go into the for-profit sector and to corporate America and say, all right, let me figure this out. You went and you became a math teacher and you started a nonprofit organization. And I just, I think that, uh, and to hear how that impacted you personally and that that gave you just a greater focus on people Mm -hmm. and, and serving. Yeah. And and I think that kind of goes back to, to our company, right? Because that was how I was brought up. That, those were the values in my family. And uh, it was all about, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. And how do you how do you weave that throughout your life? And, um, and so, you know, when I think about the company, you know, for me, like, why do I why do I want to wake up at, you know, five, 4.45 or 5 every morning? It's because um, it's because I deeply believe that the biggest impact that we can have in the world is running a wonderful family business where, People love to come to come to work, and they can fulfill their, their wildest dreams and um, make a good living, and all, and all those kind of things. And so, um, yeah, I think it Incredible. all it all starts from the very beginning. What your parents teach you, right? And what about your sisters? Yeah, so I've did got, they take a different path? They did. They so, did. Okay. So you know, they they each had chances in in high school where we all worked in uh, in the business doing internships and all, and um, you know, but each one of us had a, had a different love. So one of my sisters loves horses and has since he was a little kid. And so she's down in, uh, in Florida now. And, uh, my other sister loved kids and just always loved kids. And she wanted to be a teacher. And, but I mean, those, they had those passions from when they were like in elementary school. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they were encouraged to chase those and, uh, 
and are both both really happy in their lives right now. They said, Richard, you can have the rocks. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, so our, our listeners may not realize how large Luckstone has actually become, or Luck Companies has become. Um, you guys are the country's largest privately held, family-owned, and operated producer of crushed stone, sand, and gravel. And so I know how big of a deal that is because I spent 20 years in the aggregates business. But for our listeners that may not know, talk to us about what Luck Companies and Luck Stone looks like today. What does is, what is the footprint look like? What does the scope of the company look like? Yep, so we, we have about 900 associates, and we have 22 crushed stone plants from Virginia to uh, Georgia. Then we've got distribution yards more on the coast where we'll barge or rail uh, crushed stone to, to the coast. Um, and it's, a, it's been incredible, the growth journey that we've been on in the last five, five or ten years. Uh, you know, primarily for, for the longest time, we were really just a Virginia, um, Virginia-based company. And, uh, and about maybe eight years ago, we decided we wanted to really intentionally grow. And so, um, you know, we felt like we had a really good position in the growth markets within Virginia. So when we started saying, you know, where do we want to grow, we, we looked into the southeast, so North Carolina, South Carolina and Georgia. And, you know, outside of the obvious things such as, you know, population growth and there's all the development going on in the Southeast, one of the biggest drivers was uh, the people and the customer base. So we've always loved working with family businesses. We see um, so much success when we're able to work with other family businesses. And then, uh, and then kind of a culture fit of our people and culture and being able to take our culture from Virginia to other states. It just, it just, you know, Southeast felt right to us. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know, people that haven't uh, been in the aggregates industry may not know how big of a deal that is. When you decide, all right, we're going to go into growth mode, we're going to start scaling the company. Like, that's not the same as putting up a store here on the corner, right? In the aggregates industry, that is a big process. It's a huge process because typically people are resistant to a quarry going up in their backyard, right? And, and, and so what has been your approach to being able to expand and to open up new locations? You're at 22, is that right? 22 mm-hmm. plants now? Mm-hmm. How have you guys approached that? And what has been your, uh, how have you been successful into moving into these new communities? Yeah, yeah. so I think there's kind of two, two ways to grow. So one, you can you know, purchase, you know, you can acquire, so you can purchase other quarries. Uh, and then the other one is to start start brand new ones. So on the acquiring quarry side, there there's just not that many uh, family-owned opportunities out there. There's not many one or two um, mom and pop kind of quarries around. They there's just, no sunny side gravels anymore. Yeah, they just don't exist anymore. And uh, and but but what we did is we identified all the ones that do exist, and and we went out and started building relationships with them. And yeah, you know, we feel like that's that's where we can really show up well, where we can. You know, meet meet together one on one with family members and talk to them about their family and secession within their businesses and uh, taking care of their people. Right, so that's a huge deal for us as uh, as we go through kind of acquisition work. Is you know, people that are selling their business want to know that their people are going to be taken care of, and we can uh, make commitments to them and look them look them in the eyes and deeply believe that we're going to do uh, one heck of a good job taking care of them. So that's been more of our acquisition strategy. Um, and then, uh, and then our, our Greenfield or new Corey, Corey starts, um, has, has kind of also had that same mentality around it. So, you know, you're going in and you're looking for big plots of lands and, 
areas that are going to be developing and and then you got to go through this permitting process and it's uh, extremely difficult and and so we said how can we bring our culture and our values to that process and so what that's looked like is us spending uh, lots of time money and energy becoming a part of the community before we're even there so how do we reach out to the key stakeholders how do we do you know understand what's important to them how do we uh, support things in the community that uh, that the community cares about prior to us even being there and and then how do we make our you know permit application and all of that line up with that and are there things that we can do uh, do in and with the community before we're even there and uh, and so that's kind of been our, our uh, permitting and greenfield strategy if you will that's that's awesome oh. I, I love that so it's a, it's a effort to commit to investing back into that community long before you're ever there and it's relationships too that you guys are starting years yeah. before uh you ever uh do anything with these family-owned operations like you've been talking to these folks for years and yeah. years and years about the opportunity to uh provide their family with uh, a succession plan and to, to protect that what they've worked on for years and years. So I, I love that strategy. And that's the thing I think separates you from the other players in your space De- right now. Definitely. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think what's so cool is being a family business and being in the Corey business specifically, you get to think in 50 or 100 year increments, right? You know? and, uh, and so you get to have a patient view on capital. You ha- get to have a patient view on relationships and, um, and really you know, what we call do it right. And, and so I think that's what, what we're doing. So why the Southeast? Why has the focus been on the Southeast? What do you guys see there that you like and what fits well with love? Yeah. So I, I think it's probably two things. One, just the phenomenal growth that's occurring, um, that population growth that's occurring kind of throughout the Southeast. Um, but two, it's really, it's really the people and the culture fit. And, um, and that's both from a customer perspective, but also an associate perspective. Um, so we still see lots of family businesses throughout the Southeast and we're, we're excited to get down here and work with them and partner with them and support their businesses. Um, and then we think that, uh, you know, when we think about our culture, we think, think it fits perfectly throughout the Southeast as we're hiring and onboarding and talking about values and all of those things. And so, um, yeah, I think those are the, the two main things that, that really drew us to, to the Southeast. I want to go back. You mentioned this earlier, um, and I want to go back to it because I think this is a very intriguing part of your company story and your family story. Uh, and, and now we find out it goes all the way back to your great-great-grandfather, but this, this interest in people and investing in people and igniting human potential. So talk to me. That's, that's the mission of the company. That's what you see uh, when you go to the website, and that's what you've talked about two or three times already in the podcast, what does that mean? And how do you guys practice that as a company? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think I think you can kind of describe it in, in stories. Uh, and so I'll try to do that. Um, and so, you know, we just acquired uh, Air at Rock products, which had two quarries in North Carolina, one in Mount Airy and one in Eden. And so, you know, when we show up, you know, the first week, there's all kinds of emotions from us and from the associates there. Um, and so we had several luck associates that had decided to move down to the area and be part of that. And, uh, you know, and day day one, the new plant manager that was a formal, former luck associate, he, uh, he identified a, a, an associate in the scale office that she just wasn't in a good spot. And her son had a son had a football game later that day. And so he, he, uh, 
got a couple people together and just went over and supported supported her and went to the football game. It was like, man, that is so cool, you know? And so um, there's just so many of those stories that are going on every day. But when we think about igniting human potential, it kind of goes back to understanding who you are as a person, what you care about, and, and living in alignment with those things. And so, you know, we've got a series of tools and processes and training classes that we we put all of our associates through, everyone from my dad all the way down to folks in the quarry. And, uh, and so it, it starts with, I guess, self-awareness around why are you who you are and um, what do you care about the most? And so once we're able to get people there to where they, they start understanding those things, then we can have really conversa- great conversations about how are those driving the behaviors that we're seeing show up or what are the things that you really care about or are passionate about and how can we help you find your dance floor to the, the best job, you know, the, the right seat on the bus, if you will. And, uh, and so I think when you're in our company, it makes sense what all that means because you see us doing it. And, um, and I think that's what uh, leads to such cool performances because, you know, we're always trying to, trying to grow people and, and, and put them in, a, in the spot they want to be in. And, um, you know, I can't tell you how many stories we've had where associates come back and say, man, all the things that I've learned here about myself, um, I've been able to apply at home. Like I've been able to, I've been able to talk to uh, my wife about my style preferences or my values. And, and now she's saying, well, that makes a lot of sense while you're this way at home, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, And so, so yeah, I think, I think that's, a little bit about igniting human potential. I love that you describe igniting human potential with stories yeah. and that you use examples. And matter of fact, I, I taught you and I know some, we have mutual friends, some you know that work with you at the company. And I, I talked to them in advance of this podcast. I said, look, talk to me about this igniting human potential thing. Is this real or is this a tagline? Is this something that the company you know just says because it sounds good? And they said, no, this is real. And, and, and they went into story after story. You know, this young girl wanted to go to college to do something else, and the company did this for them. Or, you know, you guys just went through this huge compensation uh, revamp process where, you know, you, you gave the money back to the people. And, and really, um, and the, the gentleman that I was talking to about you specifically, I said, you know, how does Richard uh, practice igniting human potential? He said, the most important person to him is the person who's right in front of him. And he, he gives uh, everything he has to the, to the people and talking to them about what's important to them, what their purpose is. And as you described, finding their dance floor. I think this young man said you've, he's watched you talk to people with marriage issues and, and issues with kids. And so I, I wanted to just pull that out a little bit more so that our listeners know this is not a tagline. This is something that has been ingrained in you from day one. This is something that uh, goes all the way back to the cook cart and has just carried through for almost 100 years and, and now is part of uh, your story and your leadership style. So yeah. I think it's really cool. I love that. Um, I love that it's not, a, uh, it's not a growth number. It's not a size number. It's about finding the potential of the people that make the company. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think uh, what's a really cool part of that story is that you know, that's not, that's not Richard's leadership style. That's, that's the leadership style that 900 people at our company have an expectation that that's their all, all their styles. Right. So, 
if it's a foreman with with someone on their team, you know, we're hoping that they're showing up that same way. Now, is that and, a class? You mentioned that they go through and they kind of go through a process of uh, determining their purpose, their why, their dance floor, the right seat on the bus. Is that something that every employee goes through? Yeah, so, we, so we've got kind of a, a curated kind of class and curriculum that uh, over your first two years, you kind of get exposed to all of it. And, uh, and so there's a series of tools and, and processes there uh, that everyone has exposure to. And then we've kind of incorporated, incorporated it through all of our business practices. So there's, there's some tools like that. And then there's other, well, there's our true values that we have up on the wall with very specific behaviors. And so we, we try to figure out ways to how do you implement that into your daily, daily practice. So um, we have a, a style test where you, you're, you get assigned like different colors based on your style. And so a plant might put different colored stickers on their hard hat to kind of let everybody know. Or another plant might have cornhole boards where they throw throw bags in the morning and it lands on a value and they have to talk about it. And so, you know, I think we it, it is a class, but then uh, each manager kind of has their their own way of incorporating it into their daily daily behaviors. And uh, and so I think that's what makes it super special and, and makes it transcend across all levels of the company. And um, a really cool story that, um, you know, when we really got intentional with our culture and our values and, and a lot of these classes, we called it our values-based leadership journey. Um, so when we, when we really started that was in a period of time where uh, the company had been through record growth. So we'd had like 12 or 15 years of record year after year after year. The company had grown from like 300 people to like 1,400 people or 1,300 people. Uh, everything was good, but my dad was like, knew that, knew that everything wasn't good, that the culture was changing and that there was always meetings after the meetings and all that kind of stuff was going on. And, um, and dad was like, man, I don't know that this is the company that, that I really want it to be. And, uh, and so, so they kind of reached out for some help and someone came in and said, Hey, write down all the things that are wrong with this company to our leadership team. So they started writing and then he said, Hey, put your pens down. And he said, how many of y'all wrote me? And, uh, and so that was kind of like my dad's reality check where it was like, Hey, put the, you know, stand in front of the mirror and, and, and look at your own leadership. And so that's kind of how that journey started. And so once it started and once it started taking hold within our company, a lot of our customers started coming to us and saying, man, what, what's going on? Like, how did you guys, uh, how did you guys turn it around? And, you know, we're hearing all these people talking about all this value stuff and what does that mean? And can you come to our company and kind of help us do some of this? And, uh, and the demand for that from our customer base was huge. And so we ended up starting a, a nonprofit, uh, it's called inner will. And, uh, and, and so what we do is we, we consult and work with other other businesses, many of which are our customers, to try to help them with anything from, you know, family succession planning all the way to strategic planning and then culture within a company. And how do you how do you drive culture? And uh, and so that's been a, a really cool cool thing for us, and something that I know my dad personally feels like that's his kind of gift back to the world, right? So, how, you know, we're doing it within our own company and seeing lives change. How can we impact more more lives and do it through other companies? What a great story. I, I had no idea. I had not heard that part of it yet. And I was going to ask you about Interwheel, so I'm glad you brought that up. But to know that that came from uh, a time where you're trying to figure out what's going on. How are we How are we losing control with this? You know, it's not exactly what we hoped it would be. But the answer was as simple as look in the mirror. Yeah. 
and what is my role in this and how, what am I doing that uh, is contributing to this and what could I be doing differently? We're going through something very similar. We, um, we've gotten away, it sounds like, like you have, no more bosses, no more managers. We want leaders. We're training leaders. We're developing leaders. But that starts with extreme ownership. And I don't know, you, you've probably seen the book, Jocko Willing and Leif Babin. It's extreme ownership, two Navy SEALs, two of the baddest dudes you'd ever meet. But they write these 12 principles about extreme ownership, but it starts with looking in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think that's that's great. I love that. And, and to take that and not just push it through the company, but now to be able to share that through Interwheel with your clients, yeah. with your trade partners, that's, that's a great story. Definitely. All right. So this is the part, you've heard the podcast. This is the part where we say, give us the dirt, right? We're going to talk about you for a little bit. All right. <laughs> Make you uncomfortable. Talk about you. So um, you're pretty passionate about the business. I can tell that uh, this is, this is, you just haven't accepted the torch and say, all right, I'll, I'll be the next generation. Like you, you, your heart's in this. Where does that come from? Gosh, I, um, I, it's just so cool. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just, I love, I love our people. I love our industry. I love the equipment and this, and how tangible our our work is. Right, you can go out and see it. Um, I love continuous improvement, and Lord knows there's you know plenty of that to happen within any company. I mean, you just see opportunity for improvement all over the place. And, uh, and, and then, and then our people, right. Working with our people to solve those problems and have fun and have deep conversation. And, um, man, I, I couldn't imagine doing, doing anything else. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, you know, we won't circle a date on the calendar or anything, but there's, you know, the impression is that one day that opportunity for you to lead this company is going to be there. Is that heavy? For you, Richard? Yeah, so uh, so I never, you know, grow, like going back to the story of growing up, never felt pressure at all a- around it. Even even in that conversation that dad and I had about coming back to the company, I didn't didn't feel pressure. And then I would say that, you know, the week I started at the company was the week I started feeling pressure because, you know, the, the week I stepped in, it was like, oh, this, you know, this is Richard and he's going to take over for his dad one day. And, mm-hmm. and um, so, uh, yeah, there's a huge amount of responsibility that you feel uh, towards a thousand people and all their families and all, all our clients and all of those things. Um, you know, uh, yes, yeah, so, so there is that responsibility. Um, but man, I think what's so cool about it is that it's not, not all on my shoulders. We're one, one huge team. And, uh, so I've had this great experience where, you know, I, I moved up to Northern Virginia and I worked in the quarries for a couple years and, you know, ran equipment and ran our plants and learned how to weld and all those kind of things. And then I went into a sales role and then I went into kind of a general manager role. And through each one of my experiences at all the sites I've worked at, you know, I was a little nervous. I was like, how are people going to receive me? And is this a golden spoon boy or whatever, whatever that story could be? And, um, man, every person within our company that I've had a chance to work with has said, um, I love this company and I want it to stay a family business. And it's my, it's my responsibility to make sure that I teach you everything I know so that you can be the, the best leader possible. And so that you can uh, lead this comp- company for generations to come and continue running a family business. And so, you know, the way I've been received by our associates has meant the world to me and, and probably another reason why I'm so passionate about it. 
I think that's great, too, that you, uh, well, first off, that's a testament to your authenticity, and people see that about you. It's not that you've been given anything, that you are there, you're willing to get dirty, put your boots on just like everyone else, and get into the business and prepare yourself for an opportunity if, when it comes. And I love the fact that you're you're leaning on your team members to help prepare you for that. I was, I was getting ready to ask you the next question, how are you preparing yourself for that opportunity? But I think you answered it, that you're going out to the team, to the 900 associates and team members that you have and saying, look, teach, teach me, get me ready. You know, if this is, if this is the path that I'm supposed to take, I need your help to get there. And they've taken ownership in your development as well. Definitely. That's really cool. So this is, this is kind of a tricky question. So, you know, each, this is a hundred years of family uh, leadership and a family-owned business. And I've got to imagine that each generation looks at a little bit different. Sure. There are common threads, through all of it, right? The focus on people, even, you know, the college. I mean, that VMI was a huge part of the family uh, tradition there, but each generation has probably looked a little different. Is there, what does version 4.0 look like that, is there something that you say, all right, I've looked at it. I've seen my, my great grandfather, my grandfather, my dad go through this. You know, if I get that opportunity, this is something that I, I would like to do a little bit differently. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we're in a really interesting spot within our, our organization's leadership right now where we've got 14 officers and about, you know, half of them are, are, you know, under 50 and half of them are over 60. And so there's, you know, we've got this like six year period of time where um, all of us are all together. And that's really cool because we're all learning from each other and pushing each other. But then there's going to be this kind of transition uh, of leadership kind of to kind of our, our next generation. And I'm, you know, I've, I feel very much a part of that. And um, so we've got this kind of leadership transition that's ahead of us. And then we also have this new footprint, this new like four, four state footprint that's, um, you know, continuing to add complexity. And how do you technically support that? How do you bring culture across different states? And so, um, you know, so that all, all that transition is kind of happening at, at the same time that that you kind of you're talking about for me and maybe whatever my legacy ends up becoming. And so I, I don't know exactly what that looks like. You know, I think about my dad and my grandpa. Did they know exactly what their legacy was going to be when they were 32? I, I, I don't know. Um, but what I do know is that it'll it'll be about our people, you know, and that's because that was my, my dad's deal and my grandpa's deal and my great grandpa's thing. So um, yeah, I don't know what the spin on that will look like for me. I don't know what will happen in the world or what will happen in my life that drives certain passions uh, around our people. But I think there will be, uh, you know, the, the 4.0 of our of our people work. And um, and then and then I don't know what will happen to our business. Things things are changing so fast out in the world. Um, and so I think we just have to be able to, um, you know, be aware and be agile and ready to move and uh, understand what's going on in our markets and with our customer base and how's technology going to change everything. So um, th- there's going to be something on that side too that uh, I don't know that I can see it yet, but um, we'll try to be aware of. And yeah, but I, I, it'd be cool to sit down and do this again in 30 years. Yeah, I was sitting there thinking that, you know, your your great grandfather, you know, Sunnyside, Gravel, Coney, mm-hmm. you know, would he have ever envisioned that you guys would have 22 operations spread across the Southeast at that time? Maybe the answer is yes. Maybe maybe he said, you know, he had the vision that this thing was going to turn into something great. But I do think that uh, 
it's going to be very cool to watch you put your fingerprint on this thing and for you to be able to make it, you know, uh, yours and, and take all of what you've seen and learned in a very short amount of time and to, to take it to that next level. So I'm going to ask you to do that. So in, I'm going to ask you to pull out your crystal ball. What does the company look like 10 years from now? Yeah, so, so I think our footprint will grow. So, so uh, yeah, and I think our challenge is how do we do that in a way where we don't lose ourselves again? You know, and so how do we do that in a purposeful way where, you know, because the thing, again, if for, for me, the whole reason I want to even be a part of the family business is because of our culture and, and our people, right? And so, you know, the, while growth, financial growth is important, the doing it the right way is, is even more important. And so, um, yeah, I think that's a big a big piece of kind of what it looks like going forward being different. And then, um, you know, so every, every five years we go through uh, kind of a purposeful visioning cycle where we set a new strategy. And, uh, and so we just have rolled out our vision 2025 work and a big part of that uh, we're calling well-being. And so it's focused on financial, uh, mental and physical health of our associates. And so I'm really excited to see kind of how that goes. We've got pilot programs like a corporate chaplain that have already started, uh, we've got kind of financial training for f- folks that have just started. So um, anyway, so I'm really excited about kind of this well-being journey. You know, being in the construction industry, well-being is not <laughs> – is tough. I yeah. mean, uh, the hours we work, the, um, you know, the, the demands and the pressure and the stress. And so, you know, I think uh, every time we go through one of these five-year cycles and we set a big goal, like well, something like a well-being, everybody's like, man, what, what does that mean? What – you know, and, and what I know is we'll make meaningful progress on it. And so, you know, I don't know what kind of work-life balance that means. I don't know. I don't know how it all play out, but I'm really looking forward to 10 years from now thinking about the well-being of our people and how we've made tremendous progress there. Um, so, yeah, those are two things I'm excited about. I'm sitting here thinking about if I'm listening to you on this podcast right now and I'm one of the 900 associates at Luckstone and Luck Companies, that how proud that makes me to know that you guys just come out of a five-year visioning session and what you come out of it with is the well-being of your team. Mm-hmm. Like that's the focus. It wasn't, all right, this many more locations or this this much revenue, this much you know bottom line growth. It was how do we focus on the well-being of our team members? And if you do that, the rest of it will come. It's, uh, if, if you focus on that and you focus on your team, the rest of it will come. And I love, too, that you know, you talk, I tell people all the time, and uh, I've even said it on this podcast, that growing is easy. Growing but maintaining the thing that made you special is the hard part. Yeah. And that's the challenge. That's the challenge that I'm sure you face every day and, and the pressure that you feel is that, how do we grow but yet not lose the thing that that got us here, and and that's a challenge, yeah. especially in the space you're in. You know, you guys are swimming in big waters with some big fish, and um, but I think that's the piece that separates you from it. That you do have that culture to lean back on. Yes, absolutely. All right. So, um, last question: What do you want people to know about Luckstone Luck Companies? that they don't know already or that uh, they ha- they can't see through the website. If someone's out there and they're thinking about, hey, you know, what am I going to do? Maybe there's that math teacher out there or that, uh, um, you know, that nonprofit person that's saying, hey, I, you know, I'm thinking about changing uh, directions. I want to get into the aggregates business. What do you want them to know about your company that they may not know just by going to the website? Yeah, 
I mean, they'll, they'll probably see this on the website, but I'm going to use it as my answer anyways. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really love my grandpa's deal around We Care. Like, because that, like, that to me is so simple. It's exactly, it's exactly who we are. It's exactly who we'll always be. And, um, and so, yeah, I hope that, I hope they know we care. So whether it's a interaction with inner will where we're working on their business with them, I hope they see that we care, you know, on our customer side, we, uh, our slogans, like kind of what we tell within our sales teams, we say stone is just the start. Right. And so it's not, it's way more about more than just the stone, right. It's about us caring. It's about us providing all the resources that we have, um, doubling down with our customers to understand their business and showing them that we care. Right. And then if it's, if you're an associate kind of thinking about luck, same thing. It's like, man, we want you to know that we care about you and your family, about, um, your well-being and about, uh, you know, your hopes and dreams. And so, you know, I think all that is wrapped up into this, this kind of people as our purpose story that's, that's, uh, you know, currently landing in this spot of igniting human potential. Uh, what a great answer. And I'm so glad, uh, to have you in here today, Richard. And I was hoping, uh, coming into this, I said, please let this be legit. Like all these great things that I've heard about this guy, this family, this company, and this culture, like, I want to see that today. And, I've seen it, and I'm sure the people listening have heard it today. Uh, congratulations on what you and your family and your team have been able to accomplish. It's it's very impressive, and I know it's something that all of you are proud of. Uh, I wish you nothing but continued success in what you've got in front of you, and really appreciate you being able to come and share a little bit of your story with us today. Well, Brandon, thanks so much. It's been a ton of fun. My first podcast, so hopefully you, it went okay. You crushed it. Um, but, uh, See and, what I did there? Yeah, I, I love that. <laughs> Richard, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Give Us the Dirt. Our podcast is powered by Hoopa Grading Company in Charlotte, North Carolina, and produced by Well Run Media and Marketing. Visit our website at giveusthedirtpodcast.com and subscribe to this podcast on Apple and Google so you never miss an episode.